Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, Pastor Tim continues our study from the life of Jacob as we consider how things begin to turn around. As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. Uh, If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 32. If you're new with us, we're uh, really glad you're here. Um, It's another beautiful day. We've had a beautiful summer. I'm glad you decided to spend a little bit of time with us on your beautiful weekend. Uh, I'm excited for where we're going. Um, For the last several weeks, we have been working through this really old story, 3,500 years or so old story. And yet, um, my guess is, as we've been working through it, it's an old story, and, uh, and yet, in many, many ways, it, I hope it doesn't feel dated at all. Uh, my, my hunch has been that if you swap the names and maybe a few details in the story, uh, in many ways, this story is a lot of our stories. We, we've been hurt. We've been wounded. Um, we've been betrayed. For some of us, uh, we have been the, the one who has betrayed, and for many of us, we have been the victims of the betrayal. Uh, for some of us, there are people in our lives who we used to talk to and we had this really deep relationship with, and, uh, and now we don't talk to them. And, um, and there's something in us that breaks. Um, it's not supposed to be this way, and we know it's not supposed to be this way. And so we've been working through uh, the really difficult art of forgiveness. And uh, we've been using this story of Jacob and his twin brother Esau as our guide uh, as we think through um, how do we forgive uh, and so we're, this morning we're wrapping up uh, the five-week series on uh, Jacob and Esau. Next week we'll, we'll still talk about forgiveness, but we'll be looking at it through a different lens. Um, but we're wrapping things up uh, this morning, and I recognize it is uh, kind of a holiday weekend. Fourth uh, of July. Fourth of July is weird this year, right? Like when it happens on a Tuesday, it feels like fourth, when is Fourth of July? When do we celebrate it? Um, many of you probably did fireworks last week, Saturday. Um, some of you, it was last week Monday or last week Tuesday on the 4th of July. Uh, my, um, the, where we usually watch fireworks, uh, they had their fireworks yesterday. Uh, and so it's like the, the, the party just continues. Um, and it's been, my neighbors had fireworks every day. It's been kind of awesome, actually. Uh, every, every day. Um, uh, it, but, but when you have a holiday weekend like this, um, it, it's, it's like, okay, got to kind of, Shake things loose again. It kind of everything kind of feels a little, um, as they say in the South, cattywampus. Is that a word we use up here? Uh, it's just a little off. Uh, so um, because it's a it's a long holiday, extended kind of holiday, and uh, and we have a really important subject to discuss this uh, this morning. I want to keep things as simple as I can, and so I'm going to give you my outline, and uh, and then uh, we'll work through it together. But I'm going to give you the outline up front and. Um, and then hopefully, uh, if you're taking notes or even mental notes, um, you can kind of place where things go. Um, but here's the outline. Uh, first, I just want to read some texts together. Uh, we'll take the next section in our story, and we're going to work through it together. And then I want to show you a pattern that is, has been throughout the story that has, uh, it's kind of hard to see at first, but once you see the pattern, it's hard to not see the pattern. So uh, first a text, then a pattern. And then I want to show you, um, for those of you who are visual learners, like it, like the context and history, it's, it's good, but like for you, it's like you need a picture. Uh, I uh, want to share with you a picture. And then for those of you, if we have the time, uh, for those of you who are oral, is it oral? Is that the right word? Like auditory learners? Um, 
Uh, there's a short clip from a song that, uh, if we have time for it, I'd like to share with you. Um, for so we're going to try to get all the different learning styles this morning. Um, but uh, so again, text, some teaching, and then a visual thing, and maybe an audio thing. Um, but uh, first, for those of you who this is your first time here, I understand how it is to step into the middle. It's like watching a show and starting at episode five, like what's happened. So let me give you a quick recap on where we've been. Um, we started uh, by saying week one uh, that let's just talk about the wound. Step one in any path to forgiveness is simply recognizing that we have been hurt, we have been wounded, and many times um, we are the ones who have wounded someone else. Simply naming the wound is a huge step. Simply acknowledging that that thing happened and it hurt is huge. Uh, and then um, we looked at the next week, we looked at the second step, and we said, or a second step, uh, we said that um, what you see in this story is that the acknowledgement that forgiveness is better. Like That's the second step. Just simply acknowledging that it's better to let it go and to forgive. Uh, now again, forgiveness is, um, is not necessarily the same as reconciliation, which we'll talk about today. Reconciliation takes two people coming to the table. And two people wanting to see this, this uh, new life happen. Uh, forgiveness um, is really about your heart. And I love the language that we read. Uh, Isaac, is, um, he's, he's just been betrayed by his son Jacob. But his other son, Jacob's twin brother, Esau, comes to him and is weeping. That's the language in the text is he weeps bitterly when he finds out he has been betrayed. And then Isaac says this really powerful, this really powerful line. He says, your, your anger is going to be a yoke strapped to your neck. And you will carry it everywhere you go. But when you grow restless, you will cast it off and you will be free. And I love that picture because um, often we think forgiveness is something we extend to somebody else. But um, what Isaac is saying is, you need to let this go because you're carrying around the weight of what happened to you everywhere you go. It's coloring everything you do. And it's going to continue to do that until the weight becomes so, until you grow weary and you throw it away, you throw it off, you learn the art of forgiveness. Uh, So that was, uh, what was that, second week? Uh, Then the third week we talked about how our, uh, the next step is our actions have ripples. People are affected. It's not just you and the person that you had the interaction with. It is uh, oftentimes entire friend systems get sucked into the drama uh, entire family systems um, get sucked into the drama. And often, if we don't deal with it, what we have is we've got some friends who ally over here and some friends who ally over here. And now we got two groups of friends, and we used to have one group of friend. And uh, just recognizing that those kinds of actions, um, they ripple out. Uh, that was uh, week three. And then last week, Hannah, and I, I love it. Every time Hannah preaches, um, somebody, a number of people usually come up and say, we love Hannah. Okay, so uh, we love Hannah. Um, Hannah last week led us through a fourth step, and the fourth step was uh, the, the need to wrestle with God. Our name, um, the Israelites, and we kind of are grafted into the Israelites as Christians, um, means to wrestle with God. Uh, and if you read the story, uh, as Hannah showed us last week, it's not quite clear in the story uh, who Jacob is wrestling. Um, is, it a, is it a man? Is it Esau? Is it an angel? Is it an angel of Esau? Or is it God himself? And you read the text, and the text is intentionally vague on who's wrestling and who Jacob is wrestling here. Uh, and I think it's intentionally vague because that it's often um, the, the... Have you ever had a moment where you made a choice 
to uh, make a significant change in your life. Like you decided, like I, the relationship you were in was like, it was not leading to life or health and you broke up with them. Or it was a job and the job paid okay, maybe, um, but like something about the job you just dreaded Monday and you made the decision, a really tough choice to, to step away and the scary choice financially to step away. Or maybe it's uh, you had a vice, a habit, and you, you had to kick the habit. And so you found yourself one day saying, I got to stop smoking or I've got to put away the tobacco or I've the drinking has got a little bit out of control. I got to stop. I'm going to give that up. Uh, and you, you came to that decision, but how did you come to that decision? My guess is the language you would use is you wrestled. And if then you, you peel that like one layer deeper, who did you wrestle with? Well, at some level, you wrestled with yourself, right? Um, it, like, can I do this? Will I do this? Should I do this? And then I guess at some level, you wrestled with um, other people, some people probably said, you know, no, don't do that. You don't have to do that. And so you kind of found yourself wrestling with some other people. And then you also probably would say, yeah, this was a wrestling with God. I recognize that I need some spiritual help on this thing. I can't do this on my own. Uh, Jacob has a moment where uh, in the text it says he wrestles with a man. Um, and then uh, is it an angel? Is it God? Uh, and I think the answer is uh, intentionally vague because the answer is yes. That's, that's how change works. Um, and uh, there's this really powerful moment in the story where Jacob is asked his name. Um, and, uh, and this whole story of Jacob, we've been following it now for 20, uh, no, almost 40 years. Uh, and uh, Jacob has been asked his name. Uh, actually, he's 60 at this point. So he's been asked his name, and his whole life it's been, who are you? And he, his response is, I'm Esau. Like, his name itself means the heel grabber or the deceiver, and his whole life he's been pretending to be someone else, a man of substance, a man like bigger than me. Uh, and finally, after you know, at the age of sixty, he's wrestling, and he uh, gets to the spot where the man, the angel or God, says, "Who are you?" And his response is, "I'm Jacob. I'm a deceiver." And uh, it's this first moment where he kind of comes to grips with okay, this is how I've been living my life. And then it's in that moment, this is the, I find this so powerful. It's in that moment where he names what's been broken, where God then gives him a new identity. Um, uh, Verse 28 of 32 says, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. As soon as he gets to the spot where he can recognize it, confess it, God says, oh no, that, that identity is not who you are. You're not a deceiver. You're going to be somebody else. You're going to be the father of a people. Um, and, uh, and honestly, before Jacob can get there, he's got to first confess his stuff, his sin. Um, and then there's this moment in the story where, uh, this is all just recap. I'm probably giving way too much recap. But uh, there's a moment in the story where uh, God grabs the heel and so he's been a heel grabber, and then God grabs his heel and injures his leg. And we have this really, um, this really tender moment in the story in which he, this guy who's been running his whole life is no longer able to run. God, uh, God slowed him down. He walks with a limp. And, uh, and again, I think um, uh, for so many of us, we look at those moments when we get caught, when we get busted as God's judgment. But really what you see in the story is this, this is God's grace. Um, God often has to open, uh, open up the wound um, before we actually can confront it. Uh, and that 
that that's hard. Nobody wants to. Nobody wants that. That's hard. I have a. Um, it just came to mind uh, recently. Uh, uh, there was a, a moment in my life where I was invited. Uh, I got a gentleman called me up and said, "Hey, I won't. I won't give too many details in the story. Um, but uh, somebody um, is." They moved. They got kicked out of their house and kicked out of their parents' house, and now they're living in a trailer. And um, they're a full-blown alcoholic, but refused to confront it. And so, will you come with me? We're going to confront it. Uh, and this person was in recovery themselves, so they said, we, "We're going to confront it." And I was like, "Okay, I'm new to this whole thing. So you walk me through how to do this." So we we show up and um, we confront this gentleman who's living in a trailer. It's middle of winter, and there's no heat to the trailer, and so it's freezing and um, he didn't want to be there, but he was stuck in this addiction. And, uh, and at that point, he was unwilling to do anything about it, to confront it. Uh, and so it, he was drunk when we showed up um, and drinking. And so uh, we leave, and I, I get in this gentleman's truck, and uh, I said, so what do you recommend we do now? And uh, I'll never forget what he said. He said, uh, he, um, he's going to need to hit rock bottom. So what we do now is we pray that by the grace of God, God would lift rock bottom. Because rock bottom often means death. And so we pray that by the grace of God, God lifts rock bottom. What does that look like? Well, that he gets arrested, that he gets uh, in an accident that doesn't hurt anyone, but um, that startles him, that somebody in his life whom he loves wakes him out of this. Something happens that lifts rock bottom so that um, the wound, he, we got to open up the wound so that he can confront the wound. What you see in the story is that God, God does the same. And Jacob walks away limping, um, but for the first time, he's got a new name and a new identity. And, uh, and so last week, we looked in the mirror, and we said, before we can find reconciliation, we must first do the really painful work of confronting and wrestling with God and confronting our own sins. This week, uh, I want to think together about not just what happens in us, but between us. When, uh, because forgiveness, again, takes one, but reconciliation is going to take two. So how do we get to the spot, which is what we really want, um, the spot of reconciliation? What has to happen between us? Our text is Genesis 33. Um, now, uh, this moment, just to set it up, uh, this moment takes place 20 years after Jacob runs away from home. 20 years after Jacob steals the birthright. 20 years of running, 20 years of Esau hunting him, uh, wanting to kill him, uh, 20 years of, of, of hiding. And now, 20 years later, after running from this, this wound and uh, from what he's done, Jacob and Esau are going to meet again. Uh, for 20 years, Esau says, when I see him again, I'm killing him. And now they're going to meet again. Genesis 33, verse 1. By the way, someone should turn this whole story into a movie, don't you think? It's a, it, it's a great story. Uh, Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided his children among Leah, Rachel, and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he came near or as he approached his brother. Let's pause here. You, gotta, you feel the suspense in the story? Like Jacob's, they're going to meet again. And um, what is Jacob thinking? Is he going to kill me? Is he going to attack me? He's got, Esau's got 400 men. He's got like a small army with him. And Jacob, uh, Jacob seems to be afraid. And so he arranges his family. This is 
kind of messed up, but he puts his least favorite part of his family in the front and his favorite part of the family in the back, and he arranges for this confrontation. And then this, verse 4, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him, and they wept. It's a beautiful moment, isn't it? Uh, Many think that this is the story that inspires Jesus' parable of the prodigal son. Uh, This is really tender moment of these two men who have for their whole lives, Jacob steals the birthright when he's young, and then when he's about 40, he steals the blessing. And for their whole lives, they've been at odds with each other. And now these two men, 60 years old or so, are hugging and embracing one another in the desert, uh, weeping. And um, if you've been journeying with us uh, for this series, I know you crave that. I know you crave that. Uh, we all crave that. There's something uh, deep in our soul, deeper than our emotions, deeper than even our beliefs that crave this kind of healing. Um, I know it because I, I do too. Um, I do too. Uh, I, uh, I once sat with an older pastor and I had asked him. So I went on this project when I was uh, new in ministry. I tried to find every pastor who was um, older. And I said, hey, can I just take you out for coffee or meet you in your office? And I just got like a list of questions. I had the same list of questions. One of my questions was uh, so like questions around boundaries and questions around like self-care and how do you manage that. So questions around how are you present with people in their seasons of grief. And um, One of my questions was if you could take all the things you've learned and about ministry um, and about life, if you could take it all of it and sum it up, this is an impossible question, but I asked it every time. If you could sum it up in like two sentences, one or two sentences, what would you say? What's, your, what's the lesson? And this, this one pastor, uh, I asked the question and he, he put his head down and he sat there for a moment and he thought, and then he looked at me and he said, forgive everyone for everything. Forgive everyone for everything. Uh, Powerful words. Uh, The weight of our wounds, the weight of our broken hearts, the weight of what they did to us, it can be so heavy, can't it? Forgive everyone for everything. And so this moment in the text is really beautiful and it's really tender, Uh, but the story's not done. Uh, Verse five, then Esau looked up and he saw the, the women and the children. Who are these? He asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servants. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all, Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I meant? I should pause here. Um, uh, The chapter earlier, Jacob arranges an incredible gift. It's It's a wild gift for his brother when he meets him. Uh, Let me read you what he gives him. This is chapter 32, a chapter earlier, verse 13. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats. 200 ewes and 20 rams. 30 female camels and their young. 40 cows, 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. So so Esau wants to know... why? Uh, like you got all of uh, the, what, 550 plus animals. Why all the animals? What's going on here? 
Now, that's a good question, isn't it? Why does Jacob put on this elaborate parade? A small petting zoo. A large petting zoo, actually. What, what, what's the deal with the parade? It, it does feel, at first glance, that what Jacob seems to be trying to do here, if we can admit this, it feels like a flat-out bribe. Right? Like, I'm going to bribe you because I know you're trying to kill me, so if I give you some stuff... And by the way, his over-the-top flattery... Um, if you pay attention to how he talks to Esau, it feels like it's just over-the-top flattery. Uh, um, Genesis 32, 18. They belong to your servant, Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord, Esau. Uh, Jacob, Jacob seems almost like he's groveling. Like, I'm just your humble servant, and you're my Lord, my master. Um, and then when Jacob finally does get to him, he bows to the ground not once, as he's, as he's approaching. So it's like bow, and then get up, and then bow. Seven times he bows to the ground. It kind of feels, at first glance, can we name this? It kind of feels like what Jacob is trying to do is butter up Esau, trying to convince him to like, spare my family, don't kill me. I'm going to butter you up with flattery, with gifts. And the crazy thing is it works. Esau comes running out. He embraces him. He hugs him. He kisses him. Um, and then they, we read that they cry together. Um, but why does Esau fall for all this? Like, why, why does Esau... Uh, this is the guy who vowed to kill his brother, and for 20 years, he spent his 20 years uh, like bent on revenge. Why does this work? Why does the the... The farm and the bowing and the my lord and my servant. Why does this work? Maybe uh, Esau is just like this really greedy buffoon, right? Just really loves his stuff. And, you know, he's got all this rage. But then, like, I really got, like, I, oh, wow, camels. I'll, I'll take them. Um, so may, maybe he's just this really, really greedy buffoon. Um, and, then, and if that's the case, then the moral of the story is uh, do whatever it takes to come out on top. Spend whatever money you have. Give whatever gift to make them like you. That would be the moral of the story. Could be, but I think there's a deeper lesson here. Uh, I think actually there's something else going on here, but it requires us to notice a pattern in the story. Point two in my outline, pattern. Uh, pattern. Um, this, uh, in order to get to the pattern, we're going to play one of our favorite games, I hope, one of our favorite games, uh, at South Arbor Church. Um, it's a Sesame Street game called Where Have We Heard All This Before? So where have we heard all this before? Uh, this particular story, there's some things that have happened in it. They should ring some alarms like, okay, this feels familiar. Why is this familiar? Uh, where have we heard a story that involves brothers uh, in which... Uh, so we're only a couple chapters into Genesis now, so it's before this. Um, where have we heard a story earlier in Genesis that involves brothers uh, in which there's talk about one brother becoming extremely wealthy and the other brother being a master over them? Uh, in which one brother is bowing down to the other. Cain and Abel. So you find these echoes in each of the families. Um, but the story that I see that has so many references to this particular story is actually a story that takes place 20 years earlier in their lives. There's a moment in their lives uh, in which this Jacob and Esau, 20 years earlier, at the moment where Jacob steals the blessing, that has almost the exact same elements to this particular story. Let's go through it. Uh, 20 years earlier, um, look at the blessing that, uh, that 
uh, dad Isaac gives to Jacob, the one he steals. Listen to this blessing. Verse 28. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. That's the first portion of the blessing. May God bless you with, with uh, the earth's richness, heaven's dew, an abundance of grain and new wine. Now, those are only things that God can provide. However, Jacob does the next best thing. And 20 years later, Jacob parades all these animals. And it's, the text is intentional to say it's not just males. It's males and females. This is, a, this is like giving a stock in Apple or Google. Like this isn't just something that has value now. These animals can make more animals. You can build a commercial enterprise off of this particular gift. But the second part of the blessing that Isaac gives to Jacob, he talks about uh, gaining power and status. Um, He says, may nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. Now, 20 years later, you have Jacob meeting Esau and saying things like, I'm Esau, I am your humble servant. You are my master. Uh, Isaac's blessing continues, final element. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. And now we meet one of, Rebecca's got two sons and one of the sons, Jacob, is bowing down to the other son. Not just once, but seven times. Uh, the text goes on and says, uh, nations will bow down to you. After he bows down, Jacob prays out his 12 boys and his boys bow down. These are the boys who will eventually become the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. So when you put the pieces together, you see the pattern? You put the pieces together. Uh, it seems as if the, the words of Isaac's blessing that Jacob has stolen, Jacob is now giving back to Esau. In some fundamental way, he's trying to say, I took it, I stole it, I need to give it back to you. But it turns out, it's not just that we can infer that on the text, it's actually exactly what Jacob says he's doing. Um, Let's keep reading. Uh, Genesis 33, verse 8. To find favor in your eyes, my Lord. So again, why are you bringing all these herds? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted. Now, um, this is hard to see in English, so a little bit of Hebrew nerding out for a moment. Uh, In English, we read that there's, okay, please accept this gift, and then please accept this present. And we hear gift, and we hear present, and we realize, okay, those are two different words, but they mean the same thing. A gift and a present kind of mean the same thing. Uh, Translators have a really tough job because they're trying to take a Hebrew word and give an English equivalent, but this one's a hard one to do that with. Um, The word that we translate here, gift, is a Hebrew word, minka, minka. Uh, Minka literally means gift what it means. Uh, the, the word we translate present. Please accept my present. Now this one is where things get interesting. Uh, in Hebrew, it's the word baraka. baraka. Uh, it means almost every time it's translated. I don't know why the translators chose to translate this as present because almost every time that word shows up, the way, the way that word is translated is blessing. 
In fact, it's the exact same word that when, I, when Jacob steals the blessing from his brother, it's the same exact word. Put the pieces together. On the surface, it seems like Jacob is, is trying to get his brother's favor. Here's some flattery. Here's a bunch of animals. I'll bow down to you. I'll call you my master, my lord. My lord. Um, but if you dig a little bit deeper, uh, it seems like maybe there's a little more going on here. This whole the whole conflict started in this moment in which Jacob stole the blessing. And now Jacob seems to be going back to that moment and uh, purposefully arranging the procession in such a way that when Esau sees it playing out, it's a giving back of the original blessing. He even says, please take my blessing. Here's a, here it is. Take my blessing. Why does Esau respond in the way he responds? He shows up with 400 men. It seems like he does want to kill him. Why does he respond in the way he responds? Maybe Jacob actually has had a heart change. Um, uh, the connections continue. Just fly through a couple of them. But um, when, uh, so connections between 20 years ago and now, um, when, I, when Isaac is calling his son Jacob near, remember this moment, Jacob's disguised as Esau, and he says to him, come near to me. Exact same word that's used in the Esau story when we read that Jacob bows and comes near to him. Uh, and then um, uh, once he does come near, Isaac asks his son, uh, is, is it you, my son? Uh, kiss me. Uh, and then in this particular story, uh, he comes near and he kisses him. They embrace uh, um, and not only does he kiss him, he kisses him on the neck. Do you remember where the deception happened 20 years earlier? Let me feel. Uh, they put hair on his arms and on his neck, Rebecca did, to disguise because he was too smooth, they, we read. And so now we read that uh, Esau meets him and kisses him on, on his neck. Uh, and then most startling of all, both stories end in tears. In the first story, um, uh, you read that Esau ends up bitterly crying. He raises his voice to God and he cries. And in this story, you read that they both cry. These two stories, separated by 20 years, almost read like an inverse of each other. The pattern is right there once you see it. There is a major difference. And this is the game. Remember the game we played early in our Genesis study? Look for the pattern and see where the pattern breaks. What's the difference in the pattern? I would say that the biggest difference in the pattern is that the tears, the way the story ends, are very different. Uh, the first story ends with Jacob bent on, or Esau bent on revenge and filled with rage and weeping bitterly for what's been done to him. This story ends with both of them weeping. These are tears of healing. These are tears of at least a desire for reconciliation. Uh, and then the, this is the moment that prompts Jacob to say, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God. That's reconciliation, isn't it? To um, stare at the face of the person who hurt you, who wounded you deeply and say, to look at your face is like, it's like I can see God himself in you. That's what we desire. Um, and they're all caused by Jacob's initiative. Jacob, uh, he had met with God. He confronted his shadow self. And so he realizes that there's only one thing I can do to repair this relationship. 
I have to go back to the moment, to the root of it all, and I have to address the moment. And so he approaches Esau, he acts out the blessings, and, uh, and he shows Esau, I'm ready to let go of this blessing that I stole. Jacob is willing to do in this moment whatever is necessary to heal the relationship. Two observations. Uh, first observation. Um, there is a moral to this story. And the moral is not do whatever it takes to get out, ahead, get out ahead, like buy him off, flatter him. Like that's not the moral of the story. Um, if anything, the moral to the story is do everything you can, um, at least when appropriate, uh, to heal a painful past, especially when you contributed to the pain, especially um, when the ones uh, who are suffering have suffered because of something you've done to them. Jacob, uh, when we originally meet him, is covering his neck. And now 20 years later, Jacob will literally have to stick out his neck to his brother who has vowed to kill him. Um, Doesn't know whether he'll attack him. Doesn't know whether he's safe. um, But he initiates, and his initiation, he makes himself vulnerable. Vulnerable. I think, um, if we're thinking through, how do we reconcile with somebody who's hurt us? Again, I just want to be really clear here. If, if that hurt is like physical, sexual abuse, things like that, um, I would never suggest that actually trying. There's a justice matters, and uh, they may need to have rock bottom hit a little bit. Um, but for the relationships that aren't that way, uh, for the just, we, you know, it's a misfired word. We told a joke. It didn't go well, but we doubled down on the joke. Um, uh, we remain in conflict. I think often we can remain in conflict with people simply because neither of us is willing to budge. Neither of us is going to give up any ground. Neither of us is going to become vulnerable enough to say, I think I messed up and I sincerely, sincerely, sincerely want to fix it. And so we dig in our heels and uh, we clench on and we refuse our vulnerability. Jacob initiates and he makes himself exceptionally vulnerable. That's the first observation. Second observation. Uh, Reconciliation requires vulnerability, but not just a moment of vulnerability. Uh, It has to be some, it often has to be sustained vulnerability. If you keep reading the story, uh, the the next part of the story, um, Esau says, let's be on our way. I'll accompany you. So they've had this tender moment, hugging it out in the desert. And now Esau says, come home with me. Uh, like, come back with me. Take your people, and my people will come, and we'll go back to my home in a, in a city called Seir. And uh, Jacob initially seems like, okay, maybe he's open to it. And then very quickly he realizes, uh-oh, what if this is a trap? He's got 400 men, came looking for a fight. What if it's a trap? So he comes up with these excuses. Um, I've got little kids. We've got some young animals. If I push them, it'll be hard on them. You go ahead of me. I'll be like a day or two behind you, and then I'll meet you in Seir, in your hometown. Esau comes back and says, no, 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 no. At least let me leave some men with you to like help. To which Jacob thinks, oh no, you leave men with me. That's for sure a sabotage. No, he says, I don't need your help. It's okay. We'll be fine. We just need a couple days. And then this. So that day, Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Sukkot where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. So he sets up home. Let me show you this on a map. Seir. It's hard to read, actually. Um, this is where the story takes place. 
Seir is here, and Sukkot is here. Jacob says, I'll meet you there, and he heads in exactly the opposite direction. Exactly the opposite direction. Uh, He's made himself vulnerable once, but to sustain that vulnerability, that's tough. And so unfortunately, um, what has been a really beautiful moment of reconciliation will only ever be just that, a beautiful moment, but not a sustained moment. Uh, In fact, um, the the kids of uh, Jacob will be the Israelites, and the kids of Esau will become the Edomites, and they will be rivals and enemies throughout the Bible. In fact, uh, the Israelites will have some kids who have some kids who have some kids who have some kids, and eventually, through the line of Judah, will be a, a boy named Jesus. And uh, Esau will have some kids who have some kids who have some kids who have some kids, and eventually, through the line of Esau, will be a boy named Herod the Great. And you will see Herod the Great threatened by this baby Jesus. The battle will continue on generation after generation after generation. And uh, now you have to ask, is, was Esau looking to sabotage him? Maybe. We don't know. We will never know. Um, because they don't have this moment. All we do know is because they don't deal with it. They had a moment, but they don't have sustained moments. They don't have a sustained vulnerability. Their families will end up arch enemies for the rest of history. Um, reconciliation is a big deal if we can work there. Uh, now, again, reconciliation and forgiveness are different. For, Bible often commands forgiveness uh, because forgiveness is about our hearts and us dealing with our own poison. That's about us. Um, reconciliation requires two. And the Bible never commands reconciliation. It says as, as Christians, we are to be ministers of reconciliation, but we can't command it because we can't control whether somebody else is willing to come to the table. Right? So forgiveness, you can think of forgiveness like us and God at the table together working through our, our hurt. But reconciliation is us and God and them. And we can't control whether they come to the table. Maybe Esau was sincere. And maybe he actually did want to invite him into his home and have this new relationship. Maybe he wasn't. We will never know. Uh, And unfortunately for many of our lives, there are people in our lives who um, we will never know. Um, But we can make ourselves vulnerable to say, okay, let me go back to the moment I hurt you. And let me do my absolute best. Okay, a picture. Um, uh, as I was working through the series, I was trying to think, what's a really simple picture that can maybe help us make sense of all of this? And it may be cheesy, but I hope it helps. Um, I want you to think of your relationships like a piece of paper. Okay, so this is your relationships. Um, and uh, people come along in our lives, and they hurt us. And sometimes the hurt is little. It's like... You know, it's like, a, it, it hurt. Um, and sometimes they, what they do to us like rips right down the center of us. Uh, if you have uh, the deepest relationships, best friends, um, significant others, spouses, father, son, mother, daughter, parents, child, like these rips don't just happen once. They happen a lot. And so what we do when we're at our best is uh, we recognize what we did and we come along and we say, I am so sorry, 
will you, and we, we extend, like, will you, can we, can we make this better? And so we extend uh, an attempt at forgiveness and reconciliation. And so we try to mend up, uh, up the wounds and we offer it. And then we meet in the middle and we hand the tape and we offer forgiveness and then we hand more. And yet the obvious problem is what we recognize in many of our lives for those deep relationships, we tear and we tape and we tear and we tape and we tear and we tape and we tear and we tape. Uh, we hurt each other. My wife and I hurt each other. We try, we're, we're, we're working through that, but it happens. My kids, I, like, we hurt each other. And we tear and we tape and we tear and we tape and we tear and we tape and we tear and we tape. And the closest relationships in your life, it's going to be thousands of little cuts, some big cuts. And I'm sorry, would you forget? I messed up. Okay, here, I forgive you. Here's, I'm so sorry, I messed up. Will you forgive me? Okay, I forgive you. Um, we come back together. Uh, the obvious problem is for some of us, we stand back from our relationship and we look at it and it feels like it's more tape than it is paper. We've heard each other so many times. We're not even like in all the relationship we signed up for. We have hurt each other so much that the only thing left are all of these moments in which we've said we're sorry to each other and said we'd never do it again, and then we do it again. And so we've got this piece of paper, but it's all taped up, and there's more tape than there is paper. That's true, isn't it? Here's what the earliest Christians said that I find so powerful. Uh, they said um, that when Jesus came, when he uh, gave his life on the cross, rose again, that what he was doing was not just simply um, whatever, you know, showing how much he loved us or dying for our sins. I mean, all those things were true. Um, but they said something bigger was happening. When Jesus does all of this on the cross, the work that was happening on the cross, uh, I love the language of Paul. Paul says Jesus was reconciling all things to himself. Uh, they'll start borrowing language that Jesus gave them. They'll say things like, oh yeah, if, if, you're, uh, if you step into this relationship with, with God, what God wants to do is actually give you a, a fresh start. Um, the language Jesus gave was he wants to help you become born again. That word gets thrown around a lot, but it's, it means a fresh start. In other words, what, what they said was what he wants to do is not just kind of look at the paper with you and say, oh yeah, God forgives you. Look how many times God forgave you. Um, what we crave is... We crave a, like a, a fresh sheet, like a whole brand new sheet. Here's the picture, and here's, here's why I share it. For many of us, we want a do-over. We want to go back and be able to do it again, and then we, re- we realize, I don't, know what I, I don't know how to do that in this relationship. I don't know how to get them to show up to the table. Will they show up? I don't know. We can't control whether they show up. However... God does give do-overs. And it is possible to get back to the spot where you can look yourself in the mirror and you can understand that, okay, I used to be. I used to be Jacob the heel grabber. That is no longer who I am. God has made me into something new. I used to be that, but now I'm this. Uh, And then you get to the moment where you can fall on your knees and say to God, God, uh, I, need, I need a do-over. I need to start again. Would you help me start again? I promise you, that moment will be the beginning of the best season of your life. 
But often you have to lift rock bottom and hit it first. Um, a video. Uh, oh yeah, we have, we have time. Um, if you need a song. Uh, uh, Adam has two sons, Cain and Abel. That story ends with distance and bloodshed. Uh, Abraham has two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. They separate, their family separate, and it ends with distance and bloodshed. Uh, Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. They try to reconcile, but then they, there's distance and bloodshed. Um, each of those earlier stories end with the father dying and the sons, for the first time, meeting again at the deathbed uh, or at the graveside of their dad. Death puts things into perspective. Death puts things into I've had a handful of funerals over the last several weeks, and death puts things in perspective. I want to show you a video that, um, uh, for me, helps understand why the work of reconciliation is so important and so beautiful. It's a video that my guess is you've seen. Um, it's, it's, but my guess is if you've seen it, you don't grow tired of seeing it again. Um, it is, uh, just to set the video up, it's a, an audition tape from this past season's American Idol winner. I believe he won. Um, um, but he comes into the audition, and this dude's got an amazing voice. And, um, but he comes into the audition, and he's pretty weary. Um, and his dad has just died. And so he's, he's talking about, like, my dad and I would harmonize, and I would think about harmonizing with my dad on this song, but now my dad's not here. Um, the most important thing I've, I've learned is to forgive everyone for everything. Here's a video. Yeah, we're there with you. Um, the song we've seen is a song. It's called Monsters by James Blunt. Monsters, okay. Yeah, it's a song um, dedicating to my dad. All right. You want to take a moment? You all right? Yeah. I'm good, I'm good. Relax a little. Oh, before they turn off all the lights, I won't read you your wrongs or your rights. Time is gone. Just two grown men saying goodbye. 
That's all right, man. Powerful video, isn't it? If you haven't seen it, it's powerful. Um, death puts things into perspective, and uh, I think it's why Jesus, um, one of his last acts before he was going to be killed was to gather his disciples around a table and say, I need you to do this in remembrance of me. Um, because you're going to hurt each other. You disciples are going to go at it, and they do. They fight a lot about how do we lead this church. Uh, and you need to be reminded of what pulls you back together. Um, we take communion here. Uh, we celebrate it often. We've got, uh, if you're new with us, here's kind of how we do it. We've got four stations in the front, and someone in the back. Is it Rob? Are you going to roam? Rob will be in the back. Would love to serve you if you can't make your way forward or choose not to. Just put your hand up. Rob would love to serve you. The two on the ends are gluten free. Um, the the all the others, all of them have. Um, bread also. And uh, um, you take the bread and we'll dip it into the cup. Um, Our band will lead us uh, through another um, song. And I know I'm running late and so I apologize, but um, take this moment, please, and let this uh, be a holy moment, not just a thing we do as Christians, but actually something that, okay, God, I need need a fresh start. Um, Would you pray with me? Lord, Uh, for those in this room who this subject of forgiveness and reconciliation is not a theory or a Bible lesson, but a heart wound that goes all the way deep, would grace be extended once again at the table? Lord, for all of us who need to be reminded that um, you even chose to dip bread with Judas, there's nothing our sins can do that would keep us from you. Ah, Lord, would you meet us at this table? Ah, Lord, would you heal your church? Would you heal our our broken hearts so that we can be ministers of reconciliation to a world who has proven it does not know how to do this without you? Um, So Jesus, show us the way we pray, and we pray this in your name. Amen. We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings, you can find our service streamed live at 10 a.m. on our Facebook page. And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.